I'm one of those people, maybe by this time those very rare people, who have never watched an episode of Game of Thrones and who also hasn't read the books. And yet, over the eight past years, it's been impossible not to hear cultural references filtering in. And so free of most context, I'm aware that there are things like the Red Wedding and the White Walkers and dragons and armies and this gripping mix of violence and sex and high fantasy and intrigue. And a story of manipulations and alliances and betrayals, all focused around jockeying for power, jockeying for the right to sit on the Iron Throne. And palace intrigue and jockeying for position is a formula that seems to make pretty good TV in general. I can think of other recent series that focus on the same idea in very different settings. A few years ago, there was the Tudors, which put palace intrigue into the 16th century, the court of Henry VIII. Or we have had House of Cards, a show about political intrigue in modern-day Washington, D.C., and you can probably think of others because the game of jockeying for status is perennial. The current presidential administration has set records in the number of comings and goings. <laughs> and so it can seem as if we are living in one of these TV series sometimes. But this is not unique to this administration alone. The fact is that the game of status is a subtle one with lots of strategies. But humility is often a good one, whether true humility or not so true. Essentially, it pays to be visible, but not too visible. People in power don't like to be outshined. And so you don't want to overplay your hand. And whether in a TV show or real life, it's better often to bide your time, kiss up to the boss or president or king, and then bask in their praise when it comes your way. And so Jesus' parable today about taking the lowest seat can feel a bit out of character in that it can fit right into this kind of very worldly, perhaps even cynical pattern. Is Jesus really giving Machiavellian advice about how to rise to the top in the Tudor court or the White House? Don't march right up and sit by the host act humble and reap the rewards. It's certainly conventional wisdom and seems to have more in common with that kind of conventional folk wisdom than with the upside down values of God's kingdom. And in fact, Jesus is echoing a proverb almost word for word, a proverb from the Old Testament that we heard this morning, one of the shortest readings that comes up ever in the lectionary. Just a single proverb. Don't sit by the king, sit lower and let the king invite you up. So many of Jesus's parables are groundbreaking and original and strange. And the fact that this one doesn't seem to be may mean that we have to look deeper. I think one important thing about this parable is the context in which Jesus tells it. Because Jesus isn't giving abstract theoretical advice sitting on a mountain telling parables. Luke tells us that he says this while he's at a banquet, as he's actively watching the guests jockey for seating arrangements. 
And with that in mind, it's almost as if Jesus is naming the elephant in the room by describing the precise behavior that he's witnessing as the people are doing it. To me, that feels very different than imagining him telling this story in the abstract. It's as if he's standing there watching the guests sidle up to the head table while trying not to look too obvious, and then stops them in their tracks by announcing, you know what would work even better? <laughs> Try taking the lowest seat at the table. I imagine it hitting the room like a thud. And then Jesus reminds them of this bit of canny folk wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And it's as if perhaps Jesus isn't suggesting that false humility is a great way to get ahead so much as exposing the absurdity of the entire game. Certainly after he does this, he now doubles down by turning not to the guests, but to the host. And now he imagines a world beyond those games entirely, where the point is not to gain honor and respect in the eyes of others, but to give it away. Because he says, when you give a banquet, now he's giving advice to the host. He must have been a popular party guest. <laughs> when you give a banquet, as you are doing now, don't invite your friends and relatives who can repay you. When you give a banquet, try inviting those who are poor and those who can't repay you. And so Jesus is essentially saying, put it on God's tab. Quit worrying about honor and status. You want to be repaid? You'll be repaid but not in the currency of this world. Not in job prospects, not in Twitter likes, not in mentions and gossip columns. You'll be repaid in the terms of the next world, the terms of God. And so Jesus is calling us to live a life that's not based on reciprocity, not based on status, just based on Lavish grace, a life of giving it all away for free. And we can only really do that if we understand ourselves to have received for free everything that we have from a God who also doesn't count status and doesn't count reward. So how do we live that out? One little way that we as Incarnation live that out every Sunday is early in the morning before the 8 o'clock service at our open table breakfast. Every week we serve a hot breakfast to all comers, and it's free, and it's good. And it doesn't matter who you are, you can have some. And this breakfast is a small but meaningful sign of God's kingdom. Open table in itself is not going to solve the problem of hunger. It's not going to solve the problem of homelessness. It's not going to solve the problem of inequality. But that's not why we do it. We do it because this breakfast shows who we are and the values that we seek to put at the center of our life together. Because this breakfast is a real and meaningful sign of the kind of party that God likes to throw. It's a perfect counterpart to the other breakfast that we celebrate each Sunday, which is the breakfast in here around this table. Two meals. One of them is a full meal with eggs and potatoes and plates and utensils. And this one is a ritual meal with a morsel and a sip for all. 
but each one is a sign of the great wedding banquet that we're all invited to. And in a real way, these meals are symbols of each other. Open table is an invitation for everyone offered freely in the name of Jesus. It's a sign of the great Eucharistic feast. And when that invitation is made, there are those who will find themselves touched by that invitation and drawn deeper in, drawn to love and know Jesus better and follow him. And that invitation leads to this table, to the body and blood of Christ. But for those who share the body and blood of Christ at this table, that very life that they receive catapults them back into a life of service, into a life of giving it all away, which might very well include serving at open table or other kinds of opportunities like that, little and big throughout our lives, when we practice this call to follow Jesus in the world. We heard a similar kind of call to radical hospitality in the second reading today from the letter to the Hebrews, where the author says, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have found themselves entertaining angels without knowing it. And that's a specific reference to a story from the Old Testament where Abraham and Sarah offer hospitality to some visiting strangers, and they do turn out to be angels. But beyond that, that is an admonition to all of us because every time we are generous, every time we offer kindness to a stranger or give without thinking of the return, it is to the angels that we are giving. In fact, it is to Christ himself. So may God teach our hearts day by day to be soft, to be generous. May this Eucharist this morning fill us once again with the life of Jesus and then catapult us into the world to serve. And may we live a life that is beyond games of status, beyond fears about prestige, a life where all are welcome because all are guests of the one who has already given everything away for us.